You need to keep your imagination working, though, because we are going to imagine ourselves as we are in the end of the story of Acts, being on a ship with the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul actually is headed for Rome. And this is not a fun trip. This is not a vacation. He's not a tourist going to Rome in Italy. He's actually a prisoner on that ship. You might think of him as part of the cargo on that ship because there were a lot of prisoners that were being transported by Rome to, by the Roman Empire to Rome. So why was Paul a prisoner? Because the Jewish authorities had it in for Paul. They thought he was blaspheming because he was proclaiming Jesus as the Messiah. So they accused him and they wanted him arrested and they also wanted him dead. And so they were planning to ambush him and assassinate him. So the Romans took him into custody and locked him up. And as sometimes happens with the wheels of injustice or justice, what's supposed to be justice, it ended up being years. He was basically rotting in prison. Finally, they said to him, you can make your case before your accusers. And he said, no way, I've done nothing wrong. I'm a citizen of Rome, and I appeal to the emperor. So they said, okay, to the emperor you go. And so that's actually where he's going. And it's interesting to think about the beginning of Acts, when Jesus said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And now we see that happening. So as we jump into the story, which is going to be in Acts 27 in a moment, we are right in the middle of the ship being on its way uh, to Rome. And I want to show you this map because I think it's hard to, uh, there's a lot of detail in this story. So if you look right in the middle of this map, the island of Crete, that's where they are. They have come from Jerusalem, Caesarea, all the way down to the bottom right corner and made their way to Crete. And now it's late in the fall that they really shouldn't be making any voyages anywhere, but they are making their way around to the western side, hoping to winter there. Now, there are several people in charge on this ship. You're going to hear in the story, there's a centurion, his name is Julius, he's in charge of the prisoners, and there's the pilot of the ship who's making the decisions, and unfortunately, bad decisions about when they're going to sail, and decided to sail when they shouldn't have. Paul is not in charge. His fate is in their hands. And yet by the time we get to the end of this story, you're going to have a completely different sense of who is actually in command. So I'm going to pray. We're going to turn to Acts 27, picking it up at verse 13. And uh, when I read, you're going to notice that there's somebody narrating, and that is Luke. Luke has been allowed to travel with Paul. So let's pray and then listen to God's word. Gracious God, speak to us now how we need your word, how we need the reassurance that you indeed are Lord over all things. So speak through the scripture, speak through my words, and open us up to what you want us to hear and receive. In Jesus' name, amen. Acts 27, beginning at verse 13, we're going to go all the way to the end of the chapter, uh, verse 44. So listen to God's word to you. When a moderate south wind began to blow, they thought they could achieve their purpose. So they weighed anchor and began to sail past Crete, close to the shore. But soon a violent wind, called the Northeaster, rushed down from Crete. Since the ship was caught and could not be turned head-on into the wind, we gave way to it and were driven 
By running under the lee of a small island called Kata, we were scarcely able to get the ship's boat under control. After hoisting it up, they took measures to undergird the ship, and then, fearing that they would run on the Sirtis, they lowered the sea anchor and so were driven. We were being pounded by the storm so violently that on the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard, and on the third day, with their own hands, they threw the ship's tackle overboard. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest raged, all hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul then stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and thereby avoided this damage and loss. I urge you now to keep up your courage, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For last night there stood by me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before the emperor. And indeed, God has granted safety to all those who are sailing with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we will have to run aground on some island. When the fourteenth night had come, as we were drifting across the Sea of Adria, about midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took soundings and found twenty fathoms. A little farther on, they took soundings again and found fifteen fathoms. Fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. But when the sailors tried to escape from the ship, and had lowered the boat into the sea on the pretext of putting out anchors from the bow. Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the boat and set it adrift. Just before daybreak, Paul urged all of them to take some food, saying, today is the 14th day that you have been in suspense and remaining without food, having eaten nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will help you survive. For none of you will lose a hair from your heads. After he had said this, he took bread, and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then all of them were encouraged and took food for themselves. We were in all 276 persons in the ship. After they had satisfied their hunger, they lightened the ship by throwing the wheat into the sea. In the morning, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned to run the ship ashore if they could. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea. At the same time, they loosened the ropes that tied the steering oars. And then, hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the ship aground. The bow stuck and remained immovable, but the stern was being broken up by the force of the waves. The soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners so that none might swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land, and the rest to follow, some on planks and others on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. This is the gift of God's word. Thanks be to God.
there were four of us that had the chance to go out on the Hood Canal in kayaks because it was the perfect day and the water was very, very calm. That's the best time to go out and it was like glass. And so we went out and none of us being uh, rigorous kayakers were kind of um, once every two years kayakers kind of people. So we were cruising down the shore of the Hood Canal and just enjoying, paddling slowly and lazily and enjoying conversation because it was so quiet out there. And we paddled along for about a half an hour or so and then we all stopped and looked around and marveled once again at what a perfect day it was and how perfect the water was and how it was like glass. And we said, should we go down further or should we turn around? And we thought, oh, probably turn around. So we turned around, and I'm not kidding, within 15 seconds, the wind kicked up and was against us. And we had to paddle so hard just to not lose ground or lose water or whatever, go the opposite direction. By the time we got back to where we had started, with these muscles just bulging, we were just wondering if we would make it back at all. And then we got out of our kayaks and we're like, whoa, what was that? I mean, could it have changed more rapidly? There were white caps out there. We were practically surfing waves or going against waves. And that's what can happen on the water, right? For people that are experienced and out on the water a lot. And the Jews knew this. They had a very sober estimate of the sea. And in their minds, it had associations with dark forces that were emerging and could come up, forces of danger at any time, at a moment's notice. So by the time you get to the end of the biblical story, the new creation, heaven, the sea was no more. That tells you what they thought of about the sea. The Mediterranean Sea was no exception. In fact, everyone knew that it was dangerous to be out on those waters once you got past the late fall. And so the pilot had underestimated that danger when he thought he could scoot around to a port, the port of Phoenix, to winter, and they couldn't. All of a sudden, the wind shifted, and they were caught up with what is described as a northeaster, but really was a hurricane-force wind. And it is tossing their ship around so violently that in the words of Luke, the writer, so articulately, he says... When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest raged, all hope of our being saved was abandoned. That's just a very beautiful way of writing, we are all going to die. And they all knew they were going to die. And it's at this point that Paul stands up and everyone is listening to him. And he says, take courage, men. Now, we need to realize that when he says that, the storm is still raging on, and it rages on for many more days, two weeks total. But he says, take courage, men. And why should they take courage? Because he has seen a vision, and he has this assurance, the God to whom I belong, whom I worship, has reassured me that, yes, I will be standing before the emperor, and yes, all of you will be safe. And then he concludes by saying, I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. This is the centerpiece of this story. And you get the sense that after this happens and Paul shares this vision and this confidence that the whole uh, crew and everyone on that ship is no longer listening to anyone but Paul. This one, this prisoner, who has this confidence 
that he is not in the hands of the state. He's not in the hands of the pilot. He's not in the hands of the storm. He's in the hands of God. I like what Willie James Jennings writes in his commentary on Acts when he gets to this point in the story. In Acts 27, he writes, no one's feet are on solid ground now. Not Paul, the centurion, the owner, pilot, or crew. The only place of stability is Paul's faith in God. And he goes on to say, this is not an allegory, but reality. We are always on this ship. As a powerful metaphor, which I think resonates for us today, it certainly seems like our reality since 2020 began, right? Things have been changing at a moment's notice, becoming dark and dangerous, the whole world being hijacked by COVID-19. Even in our country, feeling like dark forces are somewhat hijacking who we are, and certainly now, our state being hijacked by these fires and smoke. And I sense that we are all looking around for some place of stability, some place of reassurance. And perhaps the centerpiece of this story can be helpful to us as we look at Paul and his statement that I have faith that it will be exactly as I have been told, how everybody rallies around that one place of stability, Paul's faith in God. This made me think, and I've been thinking a lot about faith. What is that? And especially after I heard an interview this was right after John Lewis, the congressman from Georgia, had died, and a lot of people were telling stories about John Lewis. And Krista Tippett had had the chance to go on a pilgrimage with him. He took, he took people from Congress down to Montgomery, Alabama regularly and did these civil rights kind of pilgrimages. And on the 50th anniversary of the, the march on Washington, he took a group down there and Krista Tippett was in that group. And so when they were in Montgomery, Alabama, she interviewed him and she replayed this interview. And she was remembering his journey with him um, and marveling at how he could embody that way of Martin Luther King Jr., of not hating, uh, the way of nonviolence, though so much violence had been done to him and so much hate had been thrown at him. So she, you could tell Krista Tippett was curious about his faith and kept digging as she was remembering his beginnings as a 14-year-old when he first was enamored with Martin Luther King Jr. That was about the time that Emmett Till was brutally murdered, a 14-year-old, same age as John Lewis, just because a white woman accused him falsely of flirting with her. And he said, I realized that could happen to me. So Krista Tippett, this is after that point in their interview, and John Lewis says, I wanted to believe, I did believe, that things will get better. And later I discovered that you have to have this sense of faith that what you're moving toward, that it's already done. It's already happened. Tippett, say some more about that. She was just so curious to hear about his faith. It's the power to believe that you can see, that you can visualize that sense of community, that sense of family, that sense of one house, and live as if, Tippett said, 
and you live, that you're already there, he said, that you're already in that community, part of that sense of one family, one house. If you visualize it, if you can even have faith that it's there for you, for you it's already there. I feel like he was describing what Hebrews 11.1 1, uh, says about the definition of faith, that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things unseen. He had this conviction and he lived like he was in the hands of God and not the state. He was in the hands of God's love and not the haters. And he saw that beloved community and like Isaiah 55, he knew that God's word was gonna do what God's word promised to do and he lived that out and people rallied around his faith. Krista Tippett was rallying around his faith. And Paul had this faith and you could see the whole ship rallying around it. So when they were going to kill all the prisoners at the end, which is what they were required to do because they were responsible. If any of these prisoners got away, they would be killed. So they were going to kill all the prisoners, and yet the centurion says no. Why? They didn't want to lose that centerpiece, the one place of stability in what was going on in that ship. People rallied around John Lewis, because of his faith, they rallied around Paul, this confidence that God is in command. The only place of stability, really for all of us, is this shared conviction that God is in command. And we encourage one another. We bless one another when we verbalize it. That's what I'm noticing on Facebook, Mary Nagley posted this question. She said, I have a question for you. When you need to calm down, what do you do? Two categories. Number one, when calming needs to happen right now, like in a crisis. And number two, when the anxiety has been building and you need a more prolonged calming strategy. Certainly relevant questions for us. And there was a long string of responses, all kinds of answers, all kinds of practical things. And one person said, I recenter on Jesus. Jesus is my rock in the midst of a storm. It's a mental image for me, but it's also a conscious choice to reorient my thinking. Jesus is still on the throne. Jesus knows exactly what he's doing, even when I don't like what is going on. And the thing that I noticed about that string is how many times people said thank you for asking this question. Thank you for giving us the chance to say this out loud. Thank you. It has been so great to read the responses. I was talking to Erin Grumman, asked her permission to share her post because on one day in this last week, which really verbalized the way a lot of us are feeling, she said, anyone else feel like this is the end of the world? Not only because of COVID, but because it's been hotter than bleep the last couple of days and now it's so smoky outside we can't even have any doors and windows open, ugh. That was one day, and then a day later she posts this. I feel like there's a lot going on in the world, state, Bay Area, etc. right now, that could be prayed for. Not sure if I can get people to climb on board with this, but if there's anything you need prayer for, please add it in the comments. Maybe we can just get a bunch of people praying. I personally would like that. Prayer, so simple. A simple post like that on Facebook when it feels like the end of the world. 
but it's leaning into our one place of stability that we are in God's hands. And you know, we bless and encourage one another when we share those things, when we lean in to prayer. I don't know if you noticed in the story, but at one point when Paul's urging them to speak, not speak, eat, he picks up bread and he blessed it and broke it and those words are so resonant with what Jesus did when he gave us that very simple sacrament of bread and the cup from the Passover table to remember that in the midst of reality, our storm-tossed reality, when all hell is breaking loose, and it was breaking loose for Jesus, and it was going to get worse for Jesus, and it's going to get worse for Paul too, they were still leaning in to the truth, our one stability, that God does rescue, God is in command, God's purposes will be fulfilled. And so we were given the gift of the sacrament because it's so important for us to share this reassurance with one another in whatever simple, humble way we can, each one of us. Let's pray. Loving God, in all honesty, there are ways that it's felt like Armageddon and layer upon layer of catastrophe and state of emergency, it's been hard to find our bearings and to not feel overwhelmed. And so, O oh God, we praise you that you are a God who is faithful, that your word accomplishes what you purpose. And even now, in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have this assurance, we have this stability though we are tossed about, truly tossed about. So thank you for your church. Thank you for the way you have given us the chance to be an encouragement to one another. Now tell us, oh God, this day to lean into that one place of stability, who you are. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.